Hi, I'm Michelle Carlo, and this show is Fish Out of Agua. This week, I'll learn all about the machinations and subterfuge some of us women subject ourselves to to be considered desirable or to keep from being violated. At the end of our last chapter last week, it was 1974, and a cultural shift had begun, especially in music. The protest songs of one generation had become the dance floor of the next, and as George McRae sang, it's time to rock your baby. with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. In the early to mid-1970s, we heard the death rattle of what some had called the revolution. I don't know about some of you who are about my age, mm, <laughs> 40, 16, <laughs> but for me, I was very, very, very aware that something was going on in the world that I didn't quite understand. Kind of like the kids that I saw at the Women's March this Saturday. Some of them looked too young to really know what was going on, but their eyes were wide, their ears were open, and I could tell that years later they would know that they were at that march. When I was their age, I'd overheard and witnessed countless conversations and opinions about the movement, the establishment, and the man, and how if you were not part of the solution, you were part of the problem. El pueblo, unido, nunca serán dividido. And now... It looks as if that conversation has come back all over again. 
But in 1974, the average cost of a new house was $34,900. The average income was $13,900. Average monthly rent was one eighty-five, and the cost of that new car? $3,750. A gallon of gas would set you back just 55 cents, and that Samsonite suitcase, in case you wanted to run far, far away, was $62. That's kind of expensive. What was that thing made of? Some events that happened in 1974. The Irish Republican Army, or IRA, began a bombing campaign on mainland Britain attacking the Tower of London, the Houses of Parliament, and pubs in Birmingham. In the United States, Richard Nixon became the first United States president forced to resign following impeachment, hear impeachment hearings after the Watergate scandal. Remember, he was the first. Soon afterwards, President Gerald Ford would give him an unconditional pardon. Then the Kootenai Native American tribe in Idaho declared war on the United States, which gained a lot of publicity for the tribe, and the United States government ended up giving them 12 and a half acres of land. See, justice can happen if you insist and resist, and it had nothing to do with Nixon. I know my inflection was kind of like that, but no, those, these two events were not related to each other. In sports, the much-hyped boxing match between George Foreman and Muhammad Ali for the heavyweight title took place in Zaire, now known as the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Also in 1974, Stephen King published his debut novel, Carrie, and the first use of the UPC, or the Universal Product Code, bar UPC scanners, were installed. Popular movies then, The Exorcist, Blazing Saddles, Serpico, and Death Wish. Popular on TV, Kung Fu, The Price is Right, Kojak, and The Six Million Dollar Man. Born this year, Alanis Morissette, Jimmy Fallon, Derek Jeter, and rapper Little Kim. Leaving the planet were comedian Jack Benny, Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren, Oscar Schindler, who became a household name after the 90s movie about his life, Schindler's List, and Mama's and the Papa's singer, Mama Cass. Some hit songs, Rock the Boat by the Hughes Corporation, Do It Till You're Satisfied by BT Express, and Rebel Rebel by David Bowie. But I still really got behind this song. This one, from Gene Knight in 
Now, Chapter 20 of Fish Out of Agua, My Fundillo. Meanwhile, back in my half-bedroom in a top-floor tenement walk-up in the Bronx, I was waiting for the 1970s and high school to be over. Because earlier that day, my best friend, Nikki Cleary, had vogued through the girls' locker room before our first gym class wearing a brand-new Double D Club black lace bra as if it was a trophy. I had just started real high school in 10th grade at Herbert H. Lehman High School. Lehman was a newish building straddling the Hutchinson River Parkway just past Westchester Square that all the kids who went there called Lehman State Prison because that's exactly what it looked like. I still have one of the bus, the bus passes I wrote that on to prove it. Nikki had transferred into Lehman, a public school, after being asked to leave St. Catharines for non-Catholic behavior. She'd been caught playing hooky, smoking cigarettes, and making out with boys from Cardinal Spellman about 11 too many times. I hadn't seen Nikki that summer. I'd been sent to Florida to stay with Grandma Izzy and Uncle Papo to, in my father's words, get straightened out. But together, my cousin Isabel and I were just as volatile a combination as Dorlinda and I had been, but in a different way. And after we sang 19th Nervous Breakdown you had to be there, at her father, Uncle Papo, when he caught us in a state of public drunkenness at the Broward Mall. I was sent home in disgrace. I'd never even had beer before. Cousin Maritza, the 18-year-old granddaughter of Grandma Izzy's sister, Titi Maria Luisa, or, as we called her behind her back, Titi Gran Vieja, had bought it for us. But that didn't matter. I was the city cousin and therefore blamed for everything, and so I was sent home. Nikki had been away, too, but I don't remember where. But when she came back, though, I barely recognized her. It was almost like the day we had gone to see Black Sabbath, only worse, or, or better, depending on your point of view. Always skinny Nikki had gone away the flat-as-a-board president of St. Peter's Park's IBTC, Itty Bitty Titty Committee. I, sadly, was the vice president. But she came back, the newly endowed Nikki Boom Boom. Her old wardrobe of baggy huckapoo shirts was now replaced with form-fitting v-neck danskin bodysuits and tight tube tops. And believe it or not, I wasn't impressed. See, I, I know for most people, the female rite of passage is getting your boobs. But when you're Latin, <laughs> your body part of choice is the buttocks. Oh, yes. This is the cheeky little skeleton in our Latino closet. The five happy words we have to describe your bottom. Culo, nalgas, fundillo, chichos, and delicioso. No, that last one was a trick. And yes, I know, everyone has a bottom, and of course they do. It's just not the perfect Latin bottom. Not to widen the hips, yet full and meaty across the beam. Not as high as a bubble butt, but completely lifted off the back of the thighs. Now, anyone out there listening, close your eyes and picture this. <laughs> 
picture two teardrop-shaped globes of firm, pliant, undimpled muscle, each with built-in rock and pinion steering that allows each cheek to undulate separately from the other, even when its proud owner is standing completely still. There was no escaping this perfect posterior in my family. In every house I went to, every salsa album cover had one, and every merengue album cover had two. Every novia on every novella on Channel 47 had one. My 65-year-old abuelita had one. My five-year-old cousin Evie had one. Every Latin woman in New York City had the perfect butt except me. And this was a problem because to the women in my family, this was a disaster that needed to be prevented, a catastrophe that needed to be averted, a disease that needed to be cured. And so my titis held what I like to call the Chicho Council of 1975. Titi Carmen said, I know, we must pray for her. Titi Ophelia said, no, never mind that, stop feeding her. And after I walked by, forget that again, hide her until she's 21. And then a voice in the background, listen to me, all of you. No daughter of mine is going to be una gordita. That, of course, was my mother, the former Jackie O of East 103rd Street, the woman who never raised her voice, unless she was speeching, who never cursed in public, and who was never seen without full, age-appropriate makeup and outfit, high heels, and perfect hairdo. And I had to give credit where credit was due, because after 20 years of marriage and two babies, she still weighed exactly the same as the day she walked down the aisle. 108 pounds. 70 of which was butt, and she was convinced that with the right diet, makeup, and foundation garments, her little gordiflona, fatty, would be transformed into una gran mami chula, hottie. This was something my mother understood, and to my mind, she paid attention to me now, as she hadn't before. And it's not that she was or had been a bad mother, Kevin and I were always clean, we were fed, our clothes were washed, we had toys. When we had school, she made sure our homework was done, we brushed our teeth, and we went to bed on time. But something had always been amiss with us. I'd been in enough other people's houses by now to know that they were mothers who didn't speech, fathers who didn't only work or sleep, and families who actually talked. They didn't yell whisper, scold, or blame, but they talked to each other. And now my mother and I were talking, and that couldn't be a bad thing, could it? Now, although I was a little chunky, I wasn't really fat. They all just thought I was because I went straight up and down and had no waist and I didn't have a shape. Their shape. A pear shape. So I tried it my mother's way. I ate plain broiled chicken and salad with no rice and beans, no bread or soda, no marathon bars, no pizza, no crunchy cheese doodles, and no, absolutely no, french fries with extra salt was was my favorite snack in the entire world. I tried out for the gymnastics team at school, and I actually made it. All that careful walking and ducking on the layups made balancing and tumbling easy for me. And I even let my mother buy me control top panties. I please, but they hurt. But still, after one month of this regimen, still no butt. 
and by this time the teenage paranoia was starting to kick in and I was sure there was something else wrong with me. Maybe, maybe I was really adopted. Uh, that would explain a lot. But I looked too much like both my parents for that to be true. Oh no, maybe, maybe I was really a hermaphrodite like we were learning about in health class. But I finally started having regular periods, so to my mind, that couldn't be so either. Or maybe I should have gone to talk to someone who really knew about such things. But instead of asking my mother, I went to see my best friend, Nikki Boom Boom. Safe in the sanctuary of Nikki's room, I immediately babbled everything I had gone through for the past month while I squeezed her brand new pet rock as if I could somehow turn it into a diamond. She paid no attention to me, but just stood twirling in front of a full-length mirror, wearing a brand new, tie-dyed, V-neck, danskin bodysuit, only pausing when I stopped sniffling to say, I'll grow up, Michelle. You'll grow. Someday. <laughs> and she kept giggling as she went back to admiring her twin proofs of womanhood. I slunk off to the bathroom, closed the door, and was confronted by yet another full-length mirror. And this time, I was the one who twirled and twisted, trying to see my back view, and all I could see was nothing. I was convinced I'd be at least 30 by the time I looked like a woman, and by then I'd be so old, why bother? I walked back to Nikki's room to say goodbye, and through the open door, saw her still reflected in the mirror. Only now, the bodysuit was pulled down to her waist, and she was stuffing wad after wad of tissues into each double-D cup of that black lace bra. And believe it or not, I didn't feel betrayed. I just thought, oh, well, if she could stuff her bra, why couldn't I stuff my butt? <laughs> I laughed, and Nikki turned around. Hey, how long have you been standing there? Oh, me? No, I just got here. Hey, you want to go to Wetson's and get some french fries? And so... For the rest of the weekend, I finally had something behind me I could be proud of. Well, sort of. It shifted around a lot, and I couldn't really sit down or it would flatten out. And on Sunday, we went to Titi Dulce's for dinner, and I walked around the apartment as if I was holding a dime between my butt cheeks, just like my mother always said a real Latina mujer walked. But no matter how much I shimmied and swayed in front of everyone, no one noticed. Not these were women that could spot an unplucked eyebrow with 30 paces, and I couldn't believe they couldn't see the total and complete transformation of my body. But that was okay, because the next day at school, all my friends would. Everything was fine until gym class, when I realized I would have to get undressed. I tried to hide in the corner, but of course Nikki saw me, saw me and came over, and I turned around with my back towards the lockers, and Nikki said, Hey, Michelle, you got something weird hanging out of you. Oh, my God. And as Nikki pulled a long trail of Charmin out of the back of my underwear into under the cold fluorescent light of the locker room, she said, What are you doing? Stuffing your butt? Everyone in the locker room froze as Nikki pulled and pulled, yelling, Hey, everyone, look! Michelle stuffs her butt! Michelle stuffs her butt! Now, I knew the rules. This was high school, and my life was now over. Over. And there was only thing left I could do. Only one thing left I could do. I pushed Nikki over a bench, and as she fell, her double D-cup black lace bra popped open and out flew enough pink Kleenex for every Ortiz funeral parlor in the Bronx and half of Brooklyn. As the entire locker room howled, 
Nikki leaped on top of me. She pulled my hair, and I tried to strangle her with what was left of my toilet paper tail. Finally, a teacher pulled us apart. I didn't go back to school for two days. The Chicho Council didn't take it very well. Titi Carmen said, I know, we have to take her to church and let Pastor Acevedo put holy oil anointing on the afflicted area. And Titi Ophelia said, forget that. Just send her to jail. And my mother just softly said, How could you? And I wasn't sure if she meant the stuffing or the fight. But while everyone around me argued, I grew. Nearly three inches over the next year, and those extra ten pounds around my middle somehow migrated just the right distance. And if I may say so, it produced what remains to this day some of the finest nalgas in my entire familia. Except that still, nobody noticed. I finally had a Latin butt, but it didn't make a damn bit of difference. My classmates thought I was a fake. My family thought I was a loser. And I was left in my half-bedroom on the top floor of that five-story tenement walk-up thinking about my mother. I would have noticed it for quite a while longer, but she had begun to speech less and less and to reach out to me more and more. And it was okay, but it had been too long. I I had gotten so used to interacting with friends and too used to using them for emotional support. And now, besides, I I was 15 now. I mean, I, I didn't really need her anymore. Nikki and I would soon make up. It would be the night Janie introduced us to something I would sneak down to Florida on my trip the next summer. Something even Cousin Maritza hadn't had yet. And this time, we wouldn't get caught. It was something that beat gymnastics, that was better than graffiti, and made even the kittens seem exactly what they'd been, a distant, childish escape. It was something I became really, really good at, and somewhat known for. I now knew what sweet leaf was. I discovered weed. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now it's time to showcase Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. I'm going to go back to the day-day again, this time with one of the many talented people I've met on the, Latino indie, on the Latino indie theater and film scene. And she was and is one of the best. Take a listen. And we're here with Fish Out of Agua's Featured Guest Artist of the Week. Woohoo! Oh, my God. I am so going back to the 20th century here, people. Okay, I'm sorry. I dated us both. But, like, no, I love mining this because I love that I have so many different friends and performer friends yes. that from many different areas. And you are from an area that has been so close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, we are sitting here today with Marilyn Tor- Torres. You may not recognize the name, but you will recognize her face because she's a character actress who's been in a ton of stuff in places too numerous and too torturous to mention. And she even acted with Jennifer Lopez. Thank you. Marilyn. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course, Mina. It's a joy. It's great to see you. It's good to be working together again. Yeah. We look the same. (laughs) It's good to see you. Thank you. My God, so like when do we go back to? Like the Linda Nieves Powell yeah. days. Mm-hmm. Linda was on, I think, in episode six. Ha ha. <laughs> yes. Um, I think we did the um, um, the monologue uh, 
we did we did a bunch of shows at the New Eureka. We toured yes. together. We roomed together in Orlando. It was uh, Soul Latina. And then there was another show that yes, she did. Yes, Soy Latina. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the one that I did. Well, I, wasn't, I she... wasn't in Yo Soy Latina. I was in oh. Soul Latina. We were the comedy. You, you used to do that monologue with the boots where you had the dildo on the chair and you said, don't talk much. You, you were the, you yes, were but that wasn't, the that wasn't um, Linda's thing. That was my thing. That was oh, part okay. of my solo work. I thought that was so in the Linda's dildo, show. No, the dildo was mine. <laughs> it's my property. But, um, but yeah, but that I, I met... Linda, and then I did some of her work, and then that's how I met you. Yeah, through that. And then that. we did some work at the New Eureka and Poets yeah. Cafe, and that was awesome. And that was, like, around the year 2000. Yes. Like, right around the, the turn of the century. we also did something where you played a, a Santera. Yes. Remember that? Pa- the Junkies Stole the Clock. Yes, something Veronica, like that. Veronica yes. Caicedo's play, Papaletto. No, 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 it was a no? movie. We did a movie. movie. Yeah. Movie. Because I remember we were shooting in the street. It was the summer. Ah, Felix, yes. Felix Felix yes. Rojas. Yes, yes, no, yes. Um, Frank Rojas. Frank Rojas. Yes. yes. I'm, I'm actually in IMDb for for that. Oh really? I never saw it. it so the, he actually finished it. I and never it came saw out. it either. Oh well, well it's on IMDb, okay. people. No, so, but we go way back. So anyway, now that we've figured it out, uh-huh. <laughs> so tell tell us about that um, piece where I first met you, where you were the the young mother trying to get some good booty out of your husband, and like he was like oh, tired so, and everything. So tell us about that piece. So this piece I, is so funny. Okay, so I've been doing solo work for many many years. It's um, exactly how many? Like fifteen, twenty. Since I would say high school, because I discovered that um, there was a limitation in terms of what I could do in the business. Why was that? Well, because I'm Latina, Uh and those are images that back in the day, it was rare when you saw someone that looked like me, that sounded like me. Um, I went to performing arts high school, and that was when I started to realize that um, the language and the images and the, the vibe was not as inclusive. Yeah, that, that's, that's the fame school, right? Right, and I was really lucky to go there, but um, there wasn't as much, um, there wasn't a lot for me to do. No. And then I went to Puerto Rican Traveling Theater, and I studied with them. They Ooh. had this wonderful program for uh, um, young people like me who, who were, like, low income, and they charged nothing. And I got, like, the best training there. So that's, wow. that's when I started writing monologues. And... Um, and it's it's a niche that I it, it's my thing, so I created this uh, one piece about a woman who wanted to get down with her man, and he comes <laughs> home and she does this whole dance for him, and she goes out of her way and she's dancing on a chair, and you know he says he he doesn't want to have sex, and so then she proceeds to like read him and tell him all the reasons why they need to you know get down, and at one point she pulls out a dildo. Um, happily so, and she tells him how she's been intimate with this dildo, but the dildo cannot hug her. Right. You so, put it on the chair, and you say you try to have a conversation. Yes, with we it, did. We, we like, try to have a conversation, <laughs> and the com- and the dildo, you know, serves its purpose, right? <laughs> happily so, but it only goes but so far yeah. because the dildo can't be intimate in terms of emotions. Correct. So that's one piece of mine. Yeah. Um, I, I love that you remember that. Oh, that's hysterical. You the way you put those boots on and you said how like they yes. hurted your feet and then the, you and then you were picking up the children and, and the lady was walking tiki 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 Well I because I think women do a lot of of, of changing for men. And yes. that's one of the things that we do. Like we put the shoes on even though we're in pain, we make our 
Can we? Can we? Curse? No, we can't. Yes, curse. we can. It's okay. Not FCC. Well, we make our titties bigger for men. We we, we shave our We don't totos. eat for men. Like you know, we we want to fit in this thing. Yeah. Um, and that that's part of the the message in that piece that she she was been trying so hard and raising the kids and cleaning the house and. Um, and then this man was depriving her of something that, that's pretty important. It's very important. Getting down with your partner is important. It's very important. Humans need it. Yeah. Humans need so, it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's part of what I do. Getting I think down it's, with it's, 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 Yeah. This is the takeaway that you're going to take Get down it. with your partner. No, because it's, it's, it's a healthy, yeah. necessary yes. thing. And if, if you're not, if you don't have a partner to get down with, get down with yourself. That's today's message. Because it's important to be intimate also with yourself. Yes. So I like talking about things that people don't want to talk about. Um, I love talking about women's issues. Um, I love talking about, I, I do love talking about men's issues because I think men are important and we, we need them. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of my work is, is geared towards um, the human spirit. And is that your personal work? What about your work with the juveniles? Okay, so... Um, I work with juvenile, um, I don't want to say delinquents because I don't see them as delinquents, but I go to... Are they incarcerated youth? They're incarcerated. Okay. Incarcerated youth. And the majority of them are, um, youth of color. Um, I go to Rikers, I go to juvenile centers because, uh, Bloomberg built these beautiful, um, buildings that he thought we need to keep incarcerating these kids, um... And then I work in the public school system, and I we go in. I work through Manhattan Theater Club. I work through um, theater development um, funds, and we we go in and we teach um, playwriting. Mm. And it's very rewarding. Um, I'm a I'm a firm believer that we all have a voice, and we need to be heard. Yes. And it doesn't matter who you are. I think the youth have so much to offer. I think um, kids of color are normally um, told to sort of, like, shut it down. I think kids in general, but because I work with this population the most, um, there's a lot of shutting down of self and shutting down of voice and ideas and inspiration. And I love going in the classroom and, because you know, waking no them up. There's no sense of possibility, I don't no, think. Because, no. like, I think, like, a, 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 a child... Okay, I, growing up on the top floor of a tenement walk up in the Bronx, let's say, like mm-hmm. I did, and this child decides that they want to make movies, and like you know, they're they're on PA or like their parents are like working through two jobs each just to sub, to, to sub, survive, mm-hmm. and they say, "Mommy, I want to be a filmmaker. How do I do this?" They're gonna laugh, yeah, I, unless they have a resource, unless they are also woke and they know how to encourage the child. Well, I was very for- fortunate. But that's what happened to me when I said I want to be. They laughed at me. Really? Like, yeah, because the opposite. How, how, for me. how? Yeah. How? How? How are you going to do that? How are you going to? I had to pay my own way to SVA because my there was no money. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, grants and stuff. You know, Pell grants. Well, you're DOJ. very determined. Hell You've yeah. always been that way. Hell You've yeah. always been very aware. Yeah. But I think that's what happens, right? Like if you're not aware, or if you don't have people that are backing you up, then those kids sort of get lost, and then they get lost in the conversation. They yes. get lost in the public school system. They get lost. In the system, period. Yeah. So, oh, and um, there's also a stigma to being an artist around sometimes too. Um, there was a member of my family who was very autistic, but he also fell prey to uh, drug addiction, and they didn't mm. want me to be an artist because I think some part um, of them was afraid that I would end up like this person. Right, that right. it was like equated, like but you, you know, can't they, be an artist they, and not be a junkie. But, but I will say this though: artists are super sensitive people in the world. 
Um, and I think that's why we, we, a lot of artists do fall into addiction because I think we, we're, we're recording life at all times. Mm. And I know for me, like I feel everything. And that for me is, is like I have to take extra care of myself. Yeah. Because I, I, um, I feel. And I think um, I'm all about feeling. <laughs> so I, she's I think, actually feeling my leg under the table. No, she's yes, not. <laughs> yes. Um, I've always had a crush on you, but um, so I think I think there's some some kind of truth to that or some kind of connection. But I don't think because you're going to be an artist or you want to be an artist, you're necessarily going to become an addict. Right. Um, I was fortunate because when I told my mom I wanted to do this. Um, she was all for it. My father was, uh, and the was, fathers was are always scared, like that. Yeah, and he was a little bit more like, you know, no, you have to do it the, the, the right way. If you're going to be blah, an blah. artist, you're going to be a whore. Right. You're not going to pay your rent. Right, no red lipstick. Yeah. Um, no red lipstick. But, so yeah, so I was, I was fortunate. And that's why I'm a big advocate of the arts, because mm -hmm. I think it, uh, the arts are very healing. And I think, again, if you take, I think if you take adults, but, but if you take, mainly like the youth and you put them to do things that will express who they are it saves lives oh yeah i know it saved my life no it saved my life too going yeah. to school of visual arts saved my freaking life yeah it did it was just like it like the, the 18 year old brain just like blow that well, yeah. in my case 20 year old but it's like blows up with possibility yeah things that you thought could never happen people that you thought you would never meet people that you were warned against and you're like yeah. no these people are fine this is great life mm -hmm. is wonderful yeah anyway well mostly wonderful mostly but tell wonderful. us about the show that you just did and um and a little bit about and that I'll, okay so i have created a show called the anatomy of love and it's um it's a it's an interactive show with the audience um we explore um love in all of its facets um, it's brand new. I'm having a, a great time. The audience seems to be um, taking to it very well. Um, and I, th I think, you know, there's like, it's, it's, it, it has stories about people, everyday people, mm -hmm. um, which, again, like that, that's my, my thing. Like, I, I love humanity, and um, my intention is always to bring people's voices that are not heard into the fold. And you performed it at this new salon so thing did, that's um, happening Bleaker in the South Bronx? Salon, Bleaker Art Salon. Um, it was amazing. We did it actually this past Sunday oh. down in Bleaker. Oh, oh Bleaker um, Street, okay. And it was, we had an artist by the name of India Melendez. He I came know and who he, he brought, is. Yep, he came and he brought his artwork. He does Orisha artwork. He was in that movie with us. Yes, yes, that's yes. right. Yes. Yes, and I've known him for like almost 20 years. This, we this, did a this play. is the Latina collection. Yes, uh, connection. yes. Well, here's the thing, because there's so much talent out here, and there's a, there's a lot of old school talent, and then there's a lot of new talent. I think that bridge needs yeah. to be... Uh, would you consider made. us old school, new school? We're middle school talent. No, I'm, I feel like We're I'm old school, school. school. I've always been an old school I'm, kid, I'm, though. I'm older than you, though. But we come from, like, the same place, though. Even when I was, like, 12, I was old school. Like, I, I've always been... I love, like... I love um, anything that, that ha, that's, like, that, that has weight, that's profound mm. music. Like, I love Motown. I love Salsa. But I love, like, like the old, like, um, Fania, All Stars. The and new stuff is a little bit... Your comedy I is... I love so, comedy. When, when I used to do my It Came From New York storytelling shows, uh -huh. one of the stories everybody would talk about was the one you told about a fight with your sister oh and yes like, with the vaseline on that the was head. that was my, my that actually that was alopecia because oh. when i was a little girl i had alopecia have it now 
Um, and Gorgeous emerald green scarf girl. The, thank you, thank you. There was this fight that me and my sister had, and she she walked me through this hood fight, and it was amazing because it was almost like a like a like a seminar. She was like, "If you're gonna fight this girl, you're gonna have to, you know, pull this out and pull that out." Um, and then I and then we fought, and the girl bit my eyebrow. I'll never forget that. She oh was my like, god! Oh, yeah, and she's then my she sister like, came she in Mike like Tyson, the Hulk. She's like Mike Mike Tyson's sister. She was like a perra, but. Um, <laughs> But well, then my sister came came in and, and kicked her ass, and it was it was actually kind of cool. So where can we see your fabulousness next? So I mean, just with the stereotype with the Latinas fighting. Boom, well, boom. here's but the no, thing: but the, we were the, kids, the and show, it was a different, it was different well, back then. I just finished doing. Um, last year I did Daredevil, so you can see me on Daredevil. I play a nurse. Um, Daredevil is a movie. No, or it's, TV it's show? Um, Marvel. Oh snap! It's like the Marvel. This girl's franchise. in so many movies. It, but it's a TV. It's a it's a, it's for for like um, you know Netflix. Oh, okay. And so then the Anatomy of Love. Um, we're currently looking for more space to do it. I've been asked to do it for a festival, for a Union Festival. Um, I've been asked to do it for like Gilda's House. So we're working on different places to to bring it to people. That's great. So if um, somebody wants to find out more about you, where should they go? You got a website, Marilyn? Ma oh come on, call uh, me Daniel. if you want to know. Call me or call. Call um, call me. Call four one one. I'll hook you up with somebody. Call three one one. So this has been Fish Out of Agua with yes, Marilyn it was Torres. A pleasure. It was a pleasure. It's Kissy. great to see you. Mm -hmm. I love you. Thank okay, you. and now too. back to our show. We're back on Radio Free Brooklyn with Fish Out of Agua. In 1975, prices were going up, up, up. The average cost of a new house had gone up to almost forty thousand dollars. $39,350. The average income was now over $14,000 a year and monthly rent had got up to $200 a month. That brand new Ford Mustang II was $4,105 and a pair of two school for of the a pair of two cool for two cool for school Foster Grant sunglasses for 5 bucks. In the United Kingdom, the IRA continued bombing, murdering and hostage taking. Margaret Thatcher became the Prime Minister and within the next 18 months will almost single-handedly inspire a whole new genre of music. The Vietnam War finally comes to an end with the fall of Saigon and President Gerald Ford tells New York City to drop dead, which, if not single-handedly, was certainly one of the catalysts for also inspiring a whole new genre of music at a Bowery dive bar called CBGB's. Bill Gates co-developed the basic program, and Microsoft became a registered trademark. Ex-Teamsters boss Jimmy Hoffa disappeared. Heiress Patty Hearst was kidnapped and ended up joining her rebel captors in the Symbionese Liberation Army. And Spanish dictator General Francisco Franco dies and becomes a catchphrase on the new hit TV show Saturday Night Live. General Francisco Franco is still dead. That was Chevy Chase, and you're not. Well, not bad it'd be a... Yeah, kind, kind of like that. <laughs> I'm not going to get hired to do Chevy Chase imitations. No way. Also popular on television were Oral and the Family, Sanford and Son, Happy Days, Maud, Rhoda, Chico and the Man, The Jeffersons, Welcome Back, Cotter, Good Times, MASH, and oh my God, I guess I watched a lot of TV that year. I can't believe... Wow. That was some good TV, man. 
Hit movies with Jaws, Young Frankenstein, The Godfather Part 2, Tommy, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wow, not a bad group of movies either. Popular songs and musicians included Loving You by Minnie Ripperton, who called out the name of her daughter Maya at the end of the song. And Maya would grow up to perform in Saturday Night Live herself three decades later. David Bowie's fame, Bob Marley and the Whalers, Alice Cooper, and Elton John were also quite popular that year. Joining us on this planet were 50, or 50 Cent, Angelina Jolie, Bradley Cooper, and Fergie. Leaving were actress, entertainer, and loving adopted mother of 12, Josephine Baker, yeah, top that Angelina, the Twilight Zone's Rod Serling, and two of the Three Stooges, Mo Howard and Larry Fine. Things were not so yucka-yuck for me back home, though, as we'll see in these next stories from 1975 in Fish Out of Agua. And now, Chapter 21, Semilla Mala, Bad Seed. Dear Michelle, your mother is very worried about you. She says that you have become a bad girl. She says that you don't listen. She says sometimes you don't even go to school. She says you play that rock music in the house and when she tells you to take it off, you put it on even louder. She says sometimes when you come home you are sleepy and you don't want to get up in the morning for school. You are a big girl now. You are going to high school. And now is the time for you to make choices. You don't see it now, but the things you do or don't do today will come back to you later when you are older. I know right now you don't think about that, but you will get older, and then you will know. The last time I saw you, Michelle, you told me to shut up. That was not nice. I was just trying to help you. I know your Titi Ophelia sometimes says things in a funny way, but she means well. She loves you. We all love you. We love you, your brother, and your mother, although I do not think that you believe that. I talked about choices before. I know your mother made her choice, and you and your brother don't speak Spanish, and you don't really like our food or our music, and to me that is okay. Just remember that things can change. And just because you see me now as a jamona, a spinster, doesn't mean that I never had another life. I don't judge you by your choices, and you do not have the right to judge mine. Only El Señor can judge. Michelle, you must stay in school. You must be a good girl. If not for your sake, then for your mother and father's. Your father loves you. This I know is the absolute truth. One thing I also notice is you are not respectful to your grandfather either. Read the Bible. Pray to God. It will help you to be good. I will see you at Titi Ophelia's on Thanksgiving. Love, Titi Kalman. Read James, chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 22, A Fish Out of Agua, Spanish on Sunday, Part 4. El Cuco, La Chupacabra, y La Baina, or The Boogeyman, The Bloodsucker, and The Watchmacallit. 
Didi Coleman was right about one thing. We all have choices to make, and we all have to live with them. Abuelita's House, Thanksgiving Day, 1975. The family had changed little over the years, except Didi Ophelia had temporarily sworn off husbands, and Uncle Raymond had gone away for good. He was one of the unfortunates who'd be busted right after the passage of the extremely punitive and draconian Rockefeller drug law that demanded mandatory 25-year jail terms for possession of small amounts of heroin. Did he deserve that? Well, he deserved help. Help kicking a habit and help learning how to live without drugs. And it was really sad that my cousins Ray Ray and Evie had to grow up without their father, and that my once beautiful and carefree Titi Dulce slowly became melancholy and rigid. But who was I to talk about drugs? I was now smoking weed every chance I could get, and had discovered a new favorite pastime, tripping and listening to Pink Floyd. I sometimes think the only thing that kept me from burning out like Sid Barrett was that acid was expensive, and I wasn't yet old enough to have a real job. Plus, I was too afraid to deal like my friend Janie was now doing. Yep, Shell. Once a toy, always a toy. It was just another holiday at Abuelita's. Same apartment, same food, same family talking about the same things. For my father, it was baseball. Or it would have been if he was there. How about those Mets in that 82-80 and 80 season, huh? Above 500. But he had traded a shift with a co-worker who had just had a baby and was working on this day. With Titi Ophelia, it was about politics. She worked for the Legal Aid Society and read three newspapers, the Daily News, the New York Post, and Newsday, every day, a fact that she would announce loudly and often. Oh, can you believe that President Ford? First, he falls down, and then he tells us to drop dead? Poof! That's what happens when you do not vote for your leaders. Titi Carmen and Abuelita talked about the missionary work that they had been doing. They were now going to Rikers Island twice a week to work with the prisoners who were in the infirmary. Titi Dulce and my mother chatted about the mundane, everyday things they both did so well, talking, yet never really saying anything. My cousins were all competing for attention, gabbing about what they were doing in school. Even Evie, the youngest, was in kindergarten now. I heard the boys, my brother Kevin, Benny, and Ray Ray, who were 12, 11, and 9, complain about book reports, math tests, girls who wouldn't look at them, and girls who wouldn't leave them alone. I was the only one who was being quiet and uncharacteristically so. Maybe, I thought, well, maybe I should say something before someone noticed and asked me about things I didn't want to talk about, like school. But somehow, when I finally did open my mouth, what came out was, there was a race riot in my school, and I, I got stabbed. It had been Kill Black and Puerto Rican Day, a day where the white gangs had war with the black and Latin gangs, and every high school was caught in the middle. Two Italian boys from Waterbury Park had cornered me in a back staircase when I was going downstairs to gym class, and they asked me what I was. I thought I'd be safe because of how I looked, and I didn't think anyone I knew would actually try to hurt me. But I didn't know these boys, and before I could answer what the lie I'd prepared, Fat Pat, or what used to be Fat Pat, appeared behind them. 
He'd lost at least 40 pounds in the two years since eighth grade, and his skin had cleared up. Many of the girls in school thought he was dark and handsome, but I knew better. I knew him, and all he was to me was dark. He looked at me, and he had a chance. He really did. He could have told the boys to leave me alone. He could have said, I know her. Let her go. But what he said was, I know her. She's a spick. One of the boys held me. The other jabbed my right shoulder with an ice pick while Fat Pat watched. Then they all ran off. At least, I think it was an ice pick. It could have been a letter opener or a stiletto. But all I remember was I ran as well. I ran right out of school, all the way back to the park, holding my arm the entire way. The wound wasn't very big or very deep. It was more of a puncture, like like an animal bite, so I suppose I was lucky. It didn't get infected, and it healed up pretty well and quickly, and only left a small raised scar, kind of like a vaccination mark. I didn't say anything about it at home, especially not to my father. Oh, if I told him, I was afraid he would have gone down to the park and hurt someone. But only because they had hurt me. That wasn't the worst of it. The worst was, Pat and I hung out in the same place, in the same park. And even though I stayed on one side and he stayed on the other, sometimes the groups would come together and I would just keep as far away from him as I could. I was trapped, but I had nowhere else to go. The park was where all my friends were. Nikki, Janie, Dawn, and other girls who had become part of the crowd. Gina Ray, Ruthie, Big Lisa, Little Lisa, sometimes Sue, and Crazy Marie. All my girlfriends were there. So I I had to stand being around him. And I didn't say all this at Abuelita's Thanksgiving table. I just said I had been stabbed because I was Puerto Rican. They all looked at me as if they didn't believe me, as if they thought I had just made that up to get attention. I could even tell my mother thought that. Papa Julio, who was sitting at the head of of the table, as he always did, wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and said, Well, that is your fault for being stupid. If I looked like you, I would pass myself off for the rest of my life. And I answered, If I looked like you, I would kill myself. It took a second for what was said to sink in. Everyone's jaws dropped down to the burnt orange shag carpeting. Titi Ophelia almost choked on a mouthful of rocangandules. Titi Dulce tried to tell me Papa Julio didn't mean that the way it came out. Titi Carmen and Abuelita immediately got up and started carrying dishes into the kitchen. My brother and cousins all stared for a moment. But when nothing else happened, they went back to their grade school one-upmanship. The only one who didn't outwardly react was my mother. She just looked very, very sad. And I was very, very glad my father wasn't there. Later that afternoon, I was walking down that long hallway to get my coat from my grandmother's bedroom. I had a cigarette hidden in the pocket and I was planning on sneaking up to the roof to smoke it. But then Papa Julio came into the room and tried to push me up against the wall. He hadn't tried to do that in years, and I didn't know why he was doing it now. 
I wasn't the same girl as the one who had smashed Abuelita's break front as a child. I had walked into subway tunnels. I had taken acid. I had been stabbed. Every day I had to figure out a new way to survive, and it was all I could do not to become crazy because there were so many things going through my head, thoughts and feelings I didn't recognize and couldn't control, and I didn't know why. But this, I did recognize, and I could control it. I had a knife, a 007 in the back pocket of my faded glory jeans, and I pulled it out. I wanted to say my father gave it to me to protect myself because of the riots at school, but that couldn't be. First of all, he didn't know what had happened, and second, he would never have given me a knife even if he had known. So a friend must have given it to me. Maybe it was Janie, who was now a weed dealer and needed protection, or maybe it was Crazy May Reed, the new girl at the park who everyone was half afraid of. It doesn't matter. I had the knife, and I took it out, and I very softly told Papa Julio if he ever tried to touch me again, I would cut his balls off. And then I opened the knife. He looked into my eyes. He knew I would have, or at least tried. And he backed off. He never said anything about it, and he never touched me ever again. Sometime after that, my abuelita's decades of prayers finally worked. Papa Julio got religion. He started going to church, became a deacon, and carried his Santa Biblia everywhere he went, quoting the gospel and blessing people. The air about him looked and felt different, so I, I do believe his transformation could have been a true one. And maybe coincidentally, maybe not, Abuelita also announced at that time she was moving out of their apartment on 157th Street, where they had lived for almost 30 years, to a senior citizen building around the corner that Didi Dulce had hoped to get into. She and Papa Julio weren't getting divorced. They were just not going to live together anymore. And in the words of Grandma Mari, I want to have some peace while I still have some life left. She moved into a cheerful little one-bedroom on Amsterdam Avenue with her plants and her photo albums and her knickknacks and railings in the bathroom and an intercom buzzer in every room. And for the first time, I could see that Abuelita was starting to get old. Papa Julio would go over there every day after breakfast and go back to his now empty apartment after dinner. And whenever I'd visit, I'd always bring a box of pastries from Venero's in the East Village. Biscochos, they called them. Papa Julio especially liked the mini cannolis. Papa Julio would end up getting Alzheimer's, and eventually he only remembered me as the girl who brought the bizcochos. When he finally went into the nursing room, everyone except my mother asked me why I never went to visit him. I was a full adult by then, and Titi Carmen and my father were already gone, so I told Titi's Dulce and Ophelia the truth, at least what I could remember of it. And they both went into shock and denied it, but of course they would. They said, no, this can't be. He was a holy man. He was a Christian man. And I didn't dispute that that's what he'd become. But it did not change what he had been. Of course he would have never done what he did to them or to their kids. But he wasn't my grandfather. And that's all I have to remember. He wasn't my grandfather. 
Except for one last time, Fat Pat, or Pat Bellina, was never again as mean to be, as mean to me as he had been on that Kill Black and Puerto Rican day. Inexplicably, inex- inexplicably, over the next couple of years, he became, if not friendly, then at least non-adversarial. And I still don't know what triggered him ratting me out like that. Maybe it was payback for eighth grade when, on my way back from the bathroom, I walked past the empty classroom when Joey LaMonica and David Stein were gluing his butt to the chair, and I'd said nothing. Or maybe eight years was long enough to hate somebody and it just played out. Whatever it was, I didn't care. I had other things to worry about. For one thing... I had a secret crush on a boy for the first time in my life, and I didn't dare tell a soul. And for another, the next time I was on my way to the park, I took that 007 and I threw it down a sewer. I didn't want to have it anymore. I was afraid that if I continued to have something like that, then the next time something happened to me, I'd use it. And that I hadn't used it as of yet, was at least one choice I could be thankful for. That's our show. This has been Fish Out of Aguan, Radio Free Brooklyn. If you like what you heard today or on a past episode, sponsor us. You can do it for as little as a dollar per episode. That's the cost of a bottle of Poland Spring and much, much more real. Just go to the Fish Out of Agua page on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com, click on the green Sponsor This Show button, and let Patreon take care of the rest. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll leave you with this song, which is exactly how I felt after certain incidents went down. See you next week. <laughs>